spoken to Alan Becker, obviously. The world revolves around Alan Becker. I spoke to Mike um, Varney of Shrapnel, Brian Slagle. And it's interesting because I, I, I do feel bad dragging people out of their like their normal workspaces to talk about Roadrunner, but everyone has such compelling stories as to how those relationships developed. And with Megaforce as well, I, I keep seeing when I was doing my research on this project, which is obviously the history of Roadrunner Records, there's like a holy trinity between Megaforce, Music for Nations and Roadrunner. And that seems to be like a team thing. So I thought there's something here. So I thought I'd drag you out and uh, have a conversation if that's cool. It, it's cool just to be represented in this documentary or whatever you choose to call it. Um, the relationship we had was before an Alan Becker and before an anybody. It was before the decision was made to go through us in America, for us to go through them into Netherlands and, and Europe, and then go through that into Music for Nations, or go through Music for Nations and back into Roadrunner and Roadrunner would take care of their territory and do what they did. But everybody was so sly and, and, and wonderfully intelligent, you know? Um, when I called up Sace to talk to him about my book, and I sent him the book before it was even edited, and it was written in such Bronxese. Bronxese basically means brought up in the Bronx. That's what Bronx East is, and, yeah. <laughs> and that's what the book sounds like, a guy brought up in the Bronx. Uh, I think Sace must have flipped out saying, I would never run a company like this man. <laughs> I would never. So the book is basically Sace's guidebook of what he would never do. And that's why he's uber successful. And I'm just moderately successful. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. It's interesting. Well, it's okay. Yeah. Well, yeah it's I don't, okay. I'm looking at your background, and I'm fairly satisfied with your uh, your success at the minute. <laughs> yeah. By the way, again, I have trouble walking around these days. So this was the easiest place for me to plop. <laughs> and I, I see this, and I say, oh, no, no. What is he doing? He's no, that's not why I'm sitting here. I'm sitting here because it's a very comfortable chair, believe me. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> um the relationship between now, you know, he told me many, many years ago when we were just hanging out in Holland in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. You know, in the very original, what was I think? I don't know where I was, but I was in the Roadrunner office in Holland. That's all I remember, because that's all you can remember when you hang out with people who know what they're doing to you, mm -hmm. you know, from Eindhoven. That Eindhoven crew, they were mean and great. Metal Mike. My dear, my dear friends, but they could get you splashed. <laughs> the 
he gets his place. I'm never a drinker. I was never a drinker. Mm. So when I went over there, I drank to keep up with everybody. Yeah. But what an idiot I was. <laughs> Say saw me also, you know, drinking when I didn't drink, and I'm just crazy. So anyway, the relationship was to bring in merciful fate to the United States. Right. Um, and what I was saying before I interrupted myself was, is it safe or case? You know, he told me it was safe. There is a, there's an etiquette around it, which I'm about to find out on Friday. On Friday, I'm speaking okay. to Marcus Turner, who is, um, who's been SACE's lawyer for a number of years. As I understand it, it's SACE to anyone with the local sort of dialect and etiquette. So if you're from Holland, you'll call him SACE. But everywhere else okay. in the world, it seems to be acceptable to call him CASE. All right. Well, I feel privileged for every year that I've known him and everybody who's called him CASE, and I've called him SACE. I hope I made him feel at home when I said it to him, if he ever sees this. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, it was to bring in Marshall Fate. He say saw that not only did we uh, put a record out, but we actually took the band, gave them the money to tour in the United States, market them, press, radio, anything that you could do. <clears throat> Excuse me. At a time when that just didn't exist. I think this is this is a good jumping off point because when Megaforce is formed and you go on, at, this is sort of alludes to what Case thought of the book and it also alludes to where the book kind of starts. There is no metal indie infrastructure at the time. There's very little going on. So when you started Megaforce, were you aware of the, were you aware of Roadrunner? Were you aware of Metal Blade? Were you aware of Shrapnel? Well, Metal Blade at that time was what I didn't want to be. I think Brian knows that. He want, I wanted to be a label that put you in the studio and, and put an infrastructure around the project that would take the project and lift it into the stratus and make it succeed. Mm -hmm. That was a crazy, crazy thing. And I'm not saying that people like Brian are wrong and I am right. I'm just saying, I'm a little bit crazier maybe to do and risk some of the things I've done mm. where a good businessman on the other hand, like say, so Brian or Mike or any of these great gentlemen, they basically knew to uh, not do business the way that I conducted mine. Mm. All right. The nuances are fun to explore, though. I really like it. I like, like, I like comparing like the Roadrunner deal, like the standard Roadrunner deal, to the standard Neat deal, to the standard Noise deal. And I think that they're, they're it's fun because I think in there lies nuance, and it's things that no one's really bothered to look at before. People think that a band would get signed, and then that's the story. That's it. They're, they're successful, and then they forget that there's like a an entire infrastructure behind that and they are dealt with in different ways. So, well, with, go ahead. I, I was going to like direct the question into 
with that in mind, like the Roadrunner roster was fairly expansive because it was a lot, it was a licensing body in uh, the right. area at the time. But Megaforce's roster is quite small, but very successful. So what was the, what's the magic pixie dust you're sprinkling on these acts? Well, I gave you the formula is crazy. There's, if we're here now, we're listening to a lot of thunder and, and there's lightning in the sky. It, it happens often. <laughs> um, it's too warm over here. I'm getting so the opposite experience. The opposite. Well, very strange. Well, I'm getting it here. Um, let me just hear that. The, we tried not to be cliche. I think we had a really good pick of the barrel. We didn't get Slayer. You know, and we, and of course, Exodus. Mm -hmm. But there was a, I think we got a fairly good pick of, of, of the better bands that were happening at the time. And we had a little bit of an edge because we had the Atlantic Records deal. We basically moved out of the Rat Pack, the pack you discussed. Yeah. You know, which is over here, Sinatra and Dean Martin, you know, and Jerry. But over there was Music for Nations, Roadrunner, and, and Megaforce. <laughs> and we pulled out and tried to go international through the majors. Right. And that's what the Atlantic deal was, wasn't it? It was like a distribution joint venture. It, it was, that's exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. And a little bit more of a push in the different territories. Um, in truth, if you go back, you may have had, we may have had more success staying with the original three. Yeah. You just never know. You never know because we moved out of being an independent into being a hybrid yeah. You know, just like Sativa and Indica. <laughs> yeah. How does the, speaking of that kind of arrangement and that kind of, I'm spitballing here, so forgive me and I can rephrase things if you'd like. Um, All right. How does the Alan Becker connection come in? How does the IRD connection come in? Because one of the things that they kind of prided themselves on at the time, IRD, was the fact that there was all this product coming in, all this independent metal stuff coming in, but they knew how to deal with it in a way that the majors couldn't compete at the time. Obviously, there's obviously there's different merits to the different systems, but how does yes, that actually yes, happen? Is, yes, that's true. Yes, that's very true. Uh, IRD was a very unique bunch that really knew what they were doing and they were making their money on selling imports, oddities, rarities from across, from different lands, from overseas. When Gary Moore, you know, came across with his first records, I call them records still, to the United States, you went to IRT to get them. When you wanted a Motorhead record, you went to IRD to get seven different kinds. Mm -hmm. 
you know? So this is basically the kind of company that IRD was. And when Metallica came out, they already had an infrastructure <clears throat> that was built to handle the metal product. Mm -hmm. The first of its kind. And that made it just slide into place. It was a beautiful hand and glove. And IRD certainly uh, were a big part of everything that happened. Let's let's try let's backtrack a little bit. So, how do you first get in touch with Sace? Because presumably he's not coming down to um, rock and roll heaven, is he? I think I call them, like I always do. Mm. I would make these twenty dollar phone calls in those days, and call the heads of record companies, like I called Al Mayer for Anvil and Dave Wood for Need and Venom, and just call them up. Yeah. Steve, I knew because his business was between the United States and the UK all the time. So I'd see him in the US office. Yeah. He was MFN, Music for Nation. Yes. <clears throat> so anyway, Sace would work SOD and account to us for SOD. Mm -hmm. And we would do the same for him for um, Merciful Fate. Good pro quo. And they both went, and they both did very, very well. Right, uh, okay. Okay, so it's simply a matter of mutual interest. You want your product in their territory. Says wants his product in your territory. It's very simple. And it's pre- him really, no, he got to learn the system through us. And we weren't into hiding it to be, or, or having people sign contracts to bound, bind them at that time. So right. to our knowledge. So basically they developed their own relationship and we went on to develop our relationship. But we had that, we shared that one relationship and it was made by me calling says, I happened to be in Amsterdam because I spent some very good time in Eindhoven mm -hmm. for a few nights for, for festival. And uh, we, I think we may have even had some anthrax action at the time. Who knows? Always yep. something in Europe we're doing. And what can I say? I, I mean, I'm losing track. I got a dog biting me on the right <laughs> side of my <laughs> If you see my hand going like this, I'm grabbing my dog. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool. Don't worry yeah, about it. He's out of the ball. If the dog needs snuggles in the middle of a tornado, then you got to give that hey, dog look. some snuggles, mate. 